listening to this message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Now, here's Pastor Ron Bietti. I saw the light. How many of you can remember when you first saw the light? I like that hillbilly country style, don't you? And that new song, oh my gosh, Allie knocked it out of the park. Love you guys. You know, i got to give accolades to the Eastsiders today. Who's the Eastsiders? Who lives on the East Side? You know, you guys are just cool. My wife told me about this, but I didn't believe it. You know, in Vegas, when I'm in Vegas, if you're at a stoplight and you pause two seconds, they lay on their horns, man. They're, they're nasty. But my wife told me it was like this in East Bakersfield, and I didn't know it. Today, I'm sitting looking at my notes, and I was probably five seconds at a light. Lady behind me was just smiling. She was just cool. Didn't honk at me. You Eastsiders, all right. You're, you're, yeah. Uh, Super Bowl Sunday. I, I don't have a team this year because I really, really like both these teams. And I don't think most people in California give a hoot. Uh, I asked the first service, and I'll ask this one. How many Eagle fans do we have here? Okay. <laughs> How many Chief fans do we have? Now, listen, listen. How many don't give a hoot? <laughs> Same thing in the other service. Same thing. Well, we're going to continue our study on the dynamic power of our words. And uh, I'm going to finish up the study. How many of you think you're going to hear God? Let it be to you according to your faith. Father God, anoint me right now to, to bring this home a second time. I believe you to do it, and I thank you for it ahead of time. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, when God created us, he gave us two eyes, two ears, one mouth. See, he wanted us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. When you're angry, do you talk fast? Just rolls right off your lips. Here's what James 3, 6 says in the Message Bible. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke and go up and smoke with it, smoke right from the pit of hell. All of us listening today probably are in some way where we are at today because of the words of our tongue. For example, five words have killed a lot of people. It's six words. Those six words are, I don't love you anymore. And sometimes we wish we could take those back, but once they go out of your mouth, they're gone. Four words that can change your future is, I love someone else. Four words that can make your future better, will you marry me? Three words that just destroy so many lives. Three words that go like this. I've committed adultery. I quit. You know how many people? I quit. I'm out of here. Those words have been said in anger, and we wish we could take them back, and you said too much. Four words that can really change your life is, give me all your money. Five words. 
I can't count today. Give me all your money. I uh, went up to Bear Valley Springs Friday, and I followed a van carrying prisoners, probably from the local jail to, to Hatchapi State Prison. And my heart really bled for those guys and gals in there, knowing that they're going for two years, six years, nine years, maybe 12 years. And a lot of it had to do, or at least started, with words that came out of their mouth. I told you last week that Jesus changed a woman's life in John chapter 8. A woman was dragged into the presence of Jesus who had been caught in the very act of adultery. Now, think about this. Were these guys looking through the windows? Were they voyeurs? She was caught in the very act. (laughs) Come on, guys. And they drug her before the Lord. She was embarrassed, probably half-dressed. And they had rocks in their hands. They were going to stone her. Her life was done. Humiliated, embarrassed with a death sentence, she came before Jesus. And they gave Jesus the option of saying what happened to her. And look how he changed her life with these words in chapter 8, verse 11. He said, who accuses you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Wow. Can you feel the, I mean, changed her whole world with those words. Now, I hope to be a little brief. I'll try. Let's see what happens. I got a lot to say. Today, you're having a Super Bowl party. If if unsafe friends come, uh, maybe you could just say a prayer over the meal, and you could touch them with a very short prayer. Maybe... You could talk to him about what you heard at church today, going, man, I know you don't go to church, but man, guess what pastor said today, what I heard God say. Maybe you could invite him to church, and those, those few words of invitation would change their life. And maybe you could be real bold and say, have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? I mean, you've got an opportunity. Every day we have opportunities to rock our world with the words we say. Now, No matter what their responses are, the people at your house today, you planted seeds that God can now make grow with your words. Now, today our words are being criticized more than ever with this political correctness junk. I mean, oh my gosh, hear me out when I say, much of it is so ridiculous, it's plumb stupid. Now, a small part of it is valid in my mind. There are some things that need to be changed. They need to be politically incorrect. But it's just getting ridiculous. We no longer can speak of the founding fathers because it's sexist. So that doesn't exist. A swine flu. Now listen, swine flu we can't say anymore because it offends pork producers. How many pork producers do I have in the house today? That's what I thought. Can you believe that? Sexual preference, of course, has to be sexual orientation. It can't be sexual preference anymore. Uh, Husband and wife reveal an assumption of certain gender roles in the homes that may not resonate with some of your audience. So you can't say husband and wife anymore. Uh, Normal. It depicts that others who don't agree are abnormal, and that hurts their feelings. Fuzzy-wuzzy. You can't use it anymore. Because in the 1800s, some British soldiers referred to a certain tribe in Africa as fuzzy wuzzies. Duh, why didn't I know that? Duh. Sure, I remember that. Yes, thanks for reminding me. I can't use fuzzy wuzzy was a bear anymore. Fuzzy wuzzy had no hair. 
because I'm politically incorrect. Uh, long time no see. That offends the Native American. Makes fun of them. And I'm quite sure many Native Americans lose sleep at night when they hear that phrase going, can you believe they said long time no see? Oh, my, what am I going to do? You believe that? It's a bunch of nonsense. Who are these people that care? I mean, again, some of them are warranted. I will agree with you on that. I mean, the other day, I couldn't believe it when I, for you baseball fans, a suggestion had been made in baseball that we cannot refer to the bullpen anymore. It has to be changed to the arm barn. I'm not going to say, Kenley Jansen's coming out of the arm barn right now to pitch the ninth inning. That just sounds stupid. Not going to do it. And they said, why can't you say bullpen? Because it, it mocks the misery of animals and devaluates players. Gosh, have mercy on us. So our words now are more scrutinized. I mean, I wonder. I mean, they're going to have to change the name. I'm sure the Los Angeles Dodgers, some draft charger, dodger somewhere is going to be offended. I was a draft dodger, and I don't want to hear the word dodgers. So change it. L.A. Rams, we're going to offend some goat somewhere, some lamb. <laughs> Padres, some priest is going to be definitely bothered by that one. Dallas, all the cowboys in the world are trying to change their name now because, you know, they want their name changed because they're not doing good in the playoffs. I mean, <laughs> it's, it, it's ridiculous, most of it, just plumb ridiculous. Do these people have a life? Now, as I said before, there are a few that need to be changed. I do agree with that. But much of it is just plumb dumb. Now, today, let me give you a few ways we need to change the way we talk. And I'll cover a few. I'm watching the clock real close. Uh, let's start with the very first one, see if we have anybody that needs help. Some of us talk too much. Yeah, oh, yeah, see three, four hands go around. How many of us need to hear this one? We talk too much. Now, because it's football season, the mayor of Cincinnati two weeks ago, he said some things about how his team was going to come in and beat the Kansas City Chiefs, and he said a bunch of foolish stuff, and he's eating crow because of it. He talked too much. Look at Proverbs 10, 9. He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. That verse isn't supposed to be on there. I don't know why I put it on there, but 17, 28. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, he's considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's considered prudent. Proverbs 18, 2. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. And then 29, 20. You see a man who is hasty in his words, there is more hope for a fool than for him. I read the story of King Hezekiah the other day in my devotions, and some Babylonians came from far off to visit King Hezekiah. And in my own imagination, I think of it this way. Hezekiah had probably been drinking down a bunch of Starbucks that morning, and he was jazzed when they came. And so when he came, he goes, oh, I'm glad you're here. Uh, you want to see around my place, man? I'll show you everything. Come out here. Look at this big old barn full of gold. Ooh, is that cool or what? Oh, by the way, i got to show you something else. Come over, look at these treasures. Look at this. Look at that. And he, he just rattled on and on, showed him everything, all of his treasures and riches. And Isaiah the prophet came to him and said, what did you do when the Babylonians were here? Did you show them all your riches? Yeah. Dumb move, Isaiah said. Dumb move. And now you're going to eat the fruit of that. He said too much. One of the defining moments in my life came from a friend of mine, Doug DeBerti, one day. 
when he had read a long text, I said, and he said, Ron, sometimes you just say too much. You say more than you should say. That was a defining moment in my life. I went, you know what? You're right. I don't need to say all that. See, we can even lose the power in our prayers when we're wordy. I mean, you know that's a pet peeve of mine. Some people pray, and they pray a long time, and you're going, I don't even know what they said. Just amen to it. It sounded godly, sounded holy. I mean, if somebody's coming to you and needs prayer for healing, what if you prayed something like this, and you said, Lord God, today I ask you to put them on a healing journey. Begin to talk to them about the food they eat and what they drink, and every time stress comes, show them how to handle it. Start that journey today in Jesus' name, amen. See, you know exactly what they prayed, didn't you? You know, man, you can, you can say amen to that. You can say, wow, 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 water baptism. I mean, years ago, I used to watch our guys out there, and they got a person there five minutes praying, and I'm going, whoa. I mean, what if he just went up and said, right now, I'm going to baptize you, and let me say a prayer. Father God, right now, when I dunk them, let them know that everything they've ever said or done is being washed away. And by the grace of God, they don't have to live in condemnation anymore. In Jesus' name, amen. I get that. Counseling. Sometimes in counseling, we go way too long, say way too much. Do you know some counselors can make a problem worse? They dig up stuff that doesn't need to be dug up, and they go on and on and on. I like Bob Newhart. I love him because I mimic him quite often. And one day a lady came. He has a skit. She comes for counseling. He's a professional counselor. And he goes, okay. And he says, uh, here's my rates. For the first five minutes, it's $5. After that, it's free. I like that, she said. I said, oh, because it ain't going to last past five minutes, he said. And so he listened to her talk, and after she talked for a while, he leaned over and he goes, just stop it. Just stop it. She says, I came in here and paid you money just to say stop it. Yes, stop it. And sometimes when I'm counseling, I feel like looking over the desk saying, you know what? You need to stop being rude. Just stop it. Stop being rude. You know what? You need to stop watching porn. Just stop it, and your problem's going to be probably cured. You need to stop being a jerk. And so sometimes we don't need to use a lot of words. Sometimes we can't be that brief. I realize some counseling's pretty deep, but a lot of it could be resolved with just a few words. Number two, this is going to sound like the opposite of number one, but it's not. We don't speak up sometimes when we need to. I was reading the story the other day of David and his good-looking son, Absalom, and how there was a point in that story where Absalom has offended his father, and for, for a lot of time, Absalom, you can, you can read it in the story. He's a grown man now, and he's crying out for his dad to give him some attention. A grown man going, Dad, just talk to me, please. Dad, I just want to hear that you love me. I want to hear that you forgive me. Dad, please give me some attention. It's right in the te- context. You can read it in there. And David ignored that boy. He was mad at him and ignored him for year after year until finally Absalom dies of a horrible death. But a boy crying out to his dad, a grown boy saying, I just need you to talk to me, Dad. Tell me you're not mad at me. Something needs to be said. I mean, sometimes, maybe even now, our kids need for us just to look at them and go, How many times have I told you I love you? Have I told you how proud I am of you? I want to tell you something. You're a good kid. You're just a good kid. 
my wife over a course of 52 years have said things to me that have really been defining moments. In fact, I can still remember them decades later. In fact, the first one, I can remember right where I was at, where I was standing that day. It was decades ago, but I can remember exactly the precise moment when she looked at me and said, Ron, have you even prayed about it? And I go, no. Do you pray about things like this? I should. Uh, Another time my wife looked at me and I had done something that I probably shouldn't have done. And she says, Ron, do you ever tell yourself no? Do you ever tell yourself no? And man, it hit me like a ton of bricks. One day I hung up with our kids probably two decades ago. And she says, Ron, look at me. You are rude to our kids. Why? I said, you just answer the question. Say, see you later. Bye. Can't you ask how they're doing? Can't you ask? And since then, it's changed my life. A few weeks ago, I covered Adam in the Garden of Eden and how after he was created, God said to him, you're to keep the garden. And that word keep means to guard it, protect it, keep it safe. Again, it's redundant. But what if when Adam that day looked over and saw Eve conversing with a serpent, if he would have went over and said something like, hey, what's going on here? What are you conversing with my wife about? What are you saying? I mean, we had a different story probably. And so sometimes we remain silent when we shouldn't remain silent. There are times where we really need to say something. Look at Ecclesiastes 3 and 7. There's a time to tear apart, a time to sew together. There's a time to be silent, and there's a time to speak. So you've got to look at both of these and balance them. Look at Proverbs 15, 23. A man has joy in an apt answer. How delightful is a timely word. How many times have you and I needed a word and somebody gave it and we go, Oh, thank you. I needed that. Proverbs 25, 11. Like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in the right circumstances. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me today? Does your spouse or kid or loved one or friend need to hear something from you? See, you have the power in the tongue today to rock somebody's world. You really do. Look at number three. We sometimes lie. Lying is a sin. But lying can become a habit, especially white lies. Uh, look at the white lie definition. A white lie is a harmless lie, trivial lie, especially one told to avoid hurting someone's feelings. Uh, I give you a lot of examples. Someone comes to you and they're crying and they go, you know, oh, it's better. I'm a horrible parent. You go, oh, no, you're not. You liar, you know they're a horrible parent. <laughs> you know they are. You know, you could respond, you know, well, I know some people a little worse. Because <laughs> you say, no, you're not, they go, oh, okay, guess I won't go for counseling. You really think I'm not? Well, yeah, don't do that. Uh, you know, you have to always tell the truth. Do, do, uh, tell me honestly, do I look fat in these clothes? Well, you look like, you know, maybe like an elephant trying to fit into a, you know. Now, see, I just was politically correct, incorrect right now. You can't say fat, right? They say you have to say plump or chubby. I'd rather have fat than you look a little plump, Ron. That sounds worse. And if you say I'm chubby, then who'd you offend? Chubby checkers. If you say I'm chubby, you offended everybody with the last name chubby. You can't win this thing, I'm telling you. It's ridiculous. You get the idea. 
Lying is wrong in every situation. I heard myself tell a little white lie that day, a white one. I said it went on, and I went, oh, my gosh, Debbie, I just lied. It wasn't an out-and-out lie, but it was a white lie. I mean, I know it's tough. I know. What do you do? It's like, look at my new baby. Isn't he cute? You go, oh. <laughs> Looks like his daddy. <laughs> what do you say? You're put on the spot sometimes. You go, you don't know what to say. I just sometimes lie, and they go ask for forgiveness. <laughs> yeah, cute. Oh, Lord. <laughs> That's terrible. Oh, he's real cute. And the people see you walk off going. He's got some feet. That's all I can say. Look at those fingers. But why does God tell us not to lie? You know, lying can take away accountability. Lying can lead to more temptation for sin. Because if you know that you get caught in sin and you can lie about it, you're more tempted to sin. Think about it. You pick some chick up, you're a married man, and so when you get home, your wife says, somebody saw you with another lady today, and you go, oh yeah, uh, Samuel asked me to take his, his sister to the drugstore to get something real quick. If you think lying is an option, it's going to tempt you more to sin. But when you know you're a true speaker under all circumstances, it helps you avoid temptation because you might have to explain your way out of it. And you go, you know what? I can't do this. Look at number four. We sometimes gossip. You know, gossip is just plain unfair. It's unfair and it's wrong. To talk about anyone behind their back when they're not there to defend themselves. That's wrong. That's just pure wrong, selfish, bad. See, there's always two sides to a story. You shouldn't talk about anybody else if they're not there to defend themselves. I'm quite sure that people have said things about me before, things that maybe I did, maybe I didn't do, that I've spent days weeping before God, apologizing and asking for forgiveness. Think how God must feel. Let's, let's relate this to you. Let's say you have a child, maybe 19, 20 or something, that's been depressed for weeks, and finally they come to you, and they go, Mom, Dad, I know I've been depressed lately, but I did something, and I feel so stupid, and I feel so dirty. Could you guys pray for me? I sinned, Mom. I sinned, Dad. And I've told God over and over again, forgive me. And I, they fall down, your child crying and say, I just want forgiveness. And you pray for them and you get through it. And then you go out in the marketplace and you see somebody talking about their sin to other people and making fun of them. How would that make you feel? Angry? Going, my baby just confessed that. They've been hurting. Would that make you angry? Would that make you have some feelings, some emotions? Well, think what God feels. God says, you're talking about my kid, and I've seen him at the altar every day crying over this sin. He's sorry for it. He's repenting of it. And you have the gall to go out and gossip about him? Can I let you in on a little secret that maybe you know, maybe you don't know? But everyone who gossips to you will gossip about you. You're the next subject. You think they just talk about those others to you? They talk about you to the others. Look at number five. We sometimes are nitpicky. Nitpicky. Uh, I'm going to skip Matthew 9 and 2 back there. 
Let's go straight to Mark chapter 7, or Mark 3, 1 through 7. Now Jesus entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. They were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. You see the nitpicking? He said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or kill it? But they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger, I love Jesus' style. I love him. I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't like traditional religion, but I love Jesus. I mean, no, no, let's keep this here for a second. He walks into a room, and a guy comes up and says, I'm hurting, man, I need healing. And he looks out, and the Pharisees are there going, let's see what he's going to do. And Jesus looks at them. He says, come on, we're going to do it anyway. I like that. Just come on. You have to deal with it, man. And looking around at them with anger, he looks at them. I know what you're thinking. Watch this. Grieved at their hardness of heart, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Jesus withdrew to the sea. He just said, whatever. I've done my business. I'm going on, moving on. With his disciples and a great multitude from Galilee followed and also from Judea. Now, notice that they were there to nitpick. There are people who come to this church every Sunday to nitpick. That's all you're here for. They're going, look at that jacket he's wearing. I, I like the jacket. I'm sorry. Want me to look at you and bring you up here, and we'll start, you know, nitpicking. You know, this guy thinks he's cool. That worship team, they did it. You know, who am I talking to? You came here to nitpick. Instead of hearing what God's trying to say to you, God's trying to say something. And... uh if you're not careful, this can become a habit. You can tear apart every church you ever go to. What's the old saying? If you're looking for a perfect church, when you walk in, it isn't perfect anymore. Yeah, the shoe fits, wear it, baby. It's a habit. Some of us never let anything slide. I mean, I was preaching this this morning. I looked down. I said, there's something wrong with that verse right there. That needs a dash right there. I said it during service. I nitpicked while I was talking about not nitpicking. I told you last week, I'm preaching to me. I'm just letting you listen in. Today, you'll probably see in the Super Bowl an advertisement that I've seen several times. He gets us. Have you seen that advertisement? It's so cool. He gets us. And it goes on. So, you ever felt rejected? Jesus was rejected. You ever feel canceled? Jesus was canceled. And it's really a cool advertisement. But Sojourner's magazine, magazine, Sojourner's magazine is supposed to be a Christian magazine. They saw the commercial, and here's their headlines in their article. What he gets us ads gets wrong about Jesus. And they start tearing the commercial apart. Ah. They go on to say, Jesus wasn't canceled, he was crucified. And there's a big difference between crucifixion and cancel. And they go on, and all I heard after that was blah, 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 blah. And they said, he wasn't canceled, he was crucified. Well, he was canceled before he was crucified. So the commercial's right. I mean, look at John 6 and see if this isn't canceled, according to cancel stuff today. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. 
Therefore, because he made that statement, it was offensive. When they heard this, I'm sorry, go back, please. Therefore, many disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this offend you? Does this cause you to stumble? As a result of this, many of the disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Did they not cancel him? Does that cancel society? He said some offended them, and they said, we're not part of you anymore. We're, we're pulling back from you. In Bakersfield, there is a pretty big modern-day Pharisee movement. At least that's the way I identify it. A big one, pretty big among Christian churches. They like to argue and nitpick. Have you met any of them yet? They'll go, where do you go to church at? You go to Valley Bible, or better yet, they'll say, you go to Ron Vietti's church. Well, I want you to tell them next time, this is not Ron Vietti's church. This is the Lord's church. I'm just the pastor here. He's the chief. He's God. He's Lord. I'm his servant. So you correct them when they say that. But what they do is they want to argue. They're religious nitpickers. They love to argue. They have no joy. They can't tell you what God's doing in their life because he ain't doing nothing. Because he's grieved at how they go around arguing with everybody. They want to know, what do you teach about this? What do you teach about that? You know, on and on. What about baptism? What about tongues? Uh, do you understand the Trinity fully? No human being will understand the Trinity fully. What about the sovereignty of God? What do you believe in that? Well, it's simple. I believe God is God, and he can do anything he wants at any time he wants, and that's sovereignty. And that's my God. And they act like they have a deeper truth. They're all over Bakersfield. Oh, you will run into them, I'll tell you. Do what Jesus did. He stayed with the truth, and what did he do? He walked away. After he stayed the truth, he walked away. Don't be nitpickers. Let some stuff slide. Come on. Let us slide. You're too intense. Uh, am I talking to anybody in here? You're a nitpicker. You nitpick at everything as if you can do it better. It makes me mad when people that aren't doing a doggone thing for God pick at the ones that are. Yeah, those of us that are busy in the kingdom, we're going to make more mistakes than you who do nothing. We are, but at least we're trying to do something for the kingdom. When I'm up here, I know I mispronounce a word every once in a while. I know I might get a fact wrong here or there maybe every 30 years. Uh, <laughs> I understand that. But give me some grace. I'm trying to obey what God told me to do. He called me, and I'm trying. I'm doing the very best I can do. So nitpicking, just stop it. <laughs> Next one. Let's get some positives in here before we close. We need to bring glory to God. Give God credit for your blessings. Testify of his goodness. I mean, I know, I know, I know, and I'll say it until I die. I give God credit for everything good in my life. If, it ha if it's good and neat, it's God. I went in the other day to buy a 75-inch screen TV. I've always wanted a real big one. And I went into a place, I won't tell you the name of the place, and it was like $13.99, and I go, ah, $13.99, I don't have that. I can't spend that on TV. And so I'm sitting there going, God, what do I do? My wife's going to shoot me if I spend this on a big TV. Not going to be a good night. And I, I felt an urge, and I think it's from God, go 300 yards to Target. And I went down Target, same TV, same name brand. I think it was $11.99 on sale for 
I saved half price. And I give God the glory for that. I was praying for something I really wanted the other day. My wife and I really wanted it. And I looked at it and I said, man, I really want this, Debbie. She said, I do too. I said, but, you know, I don't think I have enough money for it. And so I thought, I have to get a little bank loan to pay for this. I, I, I can't do it. And so anyway, we prayed about it, and we went to get a loan to pay for this. And uh, while we were doing that, someone came along and offered the person selling the product, offered them full price and above what they were asking. I told wife, we're done, we're done. We went home, a little simple childlike faith, we joined hands. I said, God, I really wanted this, really wanted it. And God, you've almost spoiled me through the years. I said, I know I don't deserve it. And I always couch my prayers this way. I said, God, I didn't feel guilty coming to you asking for help because I got brothers and sisters all over the world who are living as missionaries. I just feel guilty. But if there's a way I can get it, great. And if not, I fully understand. The person selling the thing came back about five hours later and said, even though we have full price, cash price for somebody else, our sellers have decided to go with you. They're going to sell it to you. And uh, I give God glory for that. And so I go around sharing these stories. I mean, this was just like, these two things were just like last week. I always have these little God stories. I've been praying about my health. Have you ever heard of a term called autophagy? Listen up. I've been praying about my health because, you know, I've contended with cancers during my life. And I, I have one in me now, a cancer, but it's not life-threatening at the moment or anything. But it could become. I've been praying about my health, and God turned me on to three-day fasting. And did you know that when you do a three-day fast, it has to be 72 hours, two days doesn't do this, but three, a process starts in called autophagy. And your body starts rebooting your immune system 100%. In three days of fasting, water fast, there's no, no juice, just pure water, what your body does is starts killing off all your damaged cells and injured cells, killing them all off and reproducing new ones. It releases all kinds of new stem cells, which are for, for the immune system. Your body typically in three days reboots the whole immune system and starts your whole body over again. But it takes three days. And I tried this this time. I, I fasted spiritually in the past, three days, five days, six. I've never done just a three-day medical staff, just medical only. It wasn't spiritual. And, man, it was so hard. I'm such a wimp. Every time TV commercial come with food on it, I go, oh, you know, I'd hear my stomach growling. At hour 70, I was looking at my watch, going, oh, man, oh, man. And then finally, I wanted to go eat an In-N-Out burger at 72 hours, and, and I remembered, that's not good. That can put you in the hospital. And so I did some bone broth and a little chicken and avocado. That's my first meal. And uh, this morning, I got it and made a big bowl of oatmeal. It's all the food I had. Because we're, we're in the process of doing some things. And I thought, man, bowl of oatmeal. My last oatmeal, I cooked it up. And I was all ready to eat it. And I poured bone broth on it. And I thought it was the almond milk. <laughs> so uh, I don't even know why I shared that. I'm just kind of getting off here. Uh, God, how that I, I timed everything. And I think he's really turned me on to this three-day fast thing. Now, from here on out, I'm going to make it a spiritual fast and a physical fast. They're different. They're different. Because I was teasing the guys that day, I'm on a three-day fast, man, man, pray for me. Oh, get that burger away from me. And I was laughing. When you're on a spiritual fast, you can't even tell people. You got to be quiet, but it's been medical. So God is doing all this stuff. It's just absolutely nuts. Uh, it's my opinion that giving glory to God over everything he's doing in your life 
can lead others to Christ. Uh, number seven, and I've got to be out here in about nine minutes, so you're okay. Uh, we use our words to evangelize the lost. People are always asking me, Ron, uh, will you teach us how to evangelize? And I don't want to be intrusive. I want to evangelize biblically but not be intrusive. Uh, I believe the key to evangelism, this is the key, to get so radically turned on to God, man, so, so radically turned on that you won't even know when you're evangelizing. You just, you know, you go somewhere, you go, ah, I got to tell you, man, I joined a small group at church the other day. Can I tell you just a second? I know we were talking about the Super Bowl, but I want to tell you what happened. Man. We went out, we prayed for this guy, we gave him a hot dog, and, you get, and you, you're evangelizing without even knowing it. It's crazy. Uh, Kyle Reef, a guy in our Vegas church, that was so cool. He's always hearing my sermons on evangelizing, sharing with the lost. And the other day he wrote me, he said, Pastor Ron, here in the Vegas neighborhood, I'm on a neighbor, neighbor app, neighborhood app. And he says, I'm a general contractor, so I was going to advertise my business on that app. But he said, instead, this thought came through my mind. It came out of nowhere. And so I went on the app, and I said, can anybody in the neighborhood use prayer? And he said, Pastor Ron, you will not believe the prayer requests that start pouring in. He said, one lady said she was a single mom. She moved, and she had no furniture. Another one said, my mom just died. Pray for me that, that God will help me get through it. Another one said, you know, I'm not a Christian, but my dad's in the hospital, and man, he needs prayer. I wrote Kyle back. I said, Kyle, do you understand? You just opened a whole door for ministry. Take this lady that needs furniture and ask her what she needs. Go to the church body. I'm sure they'll have some of this. If not, tell me in Bakersfield because we have a warehouse, and maybe we can send something over. The lady who, who just lost her mother, go down and buy her a book on grieving and, and send it to her, and then... Uh, before I could answer the third one about someone's uh, relative, be, a dad being in the hospital, Doug Loman, Pastor Doug, piped in and said, hey, Kyle, let's go visit the man tomorrow. I'll go with you. Man, all kinds of ministry happened just from using his words on the internet. Is that cool or what? And number seven, we need to be bold in our speech. The church in the book of Acts was baptized with boldness. And I know it's redundant, but man, boldness can take us a long ways. I, I saw a sign someone posted the other day. I thought it was kind of cool. They had posted it somewhere, and it said, Jesus is real whether you believe it or not. You will find out, but then it may be too late to realize how foolish you were for not believing when you had a chance. Whew, that had me thinking. Someone posted that. I mean, we got to have a spirit of boldness. And I know I've taught you before, we, we operate in grace. But we got to be bold enough to pray in Walmart if we need to, in Target if we need to. You don't know how many times I prayed in the middle of the gym. And always I'm courteous. I ask the person, I say, well, is it, will it embarrass you if we pray right here? And if they say yes, I say, well, let's just move outside or I'll pray for you in the car or whatever when I get in the car. But if not, I don't care, man. I'll pray wherever. It doesn't matter. Uh, Man, God, help me keep my attention. I want to get off and start saying so many things. We need to come out of the closet. Christians, come out of the closet. Don't be ashamed of God. I mean, Tom Tiemans, years ago, and you've heard the part of the testimony, but I, I was working full-time for Hearts Mountain, and yet I was doing ministry too. And one day, as loud as he could in the Skaggs drugstore, he looked at me and said, Ron Vietti, you need to trust God for your finances. You need to have faith in God that He'll provide for you. You're not trusting God. And you know what? I needed to hear that. I am so glad that He had 
the boldness to say that to me because I went full-time in the ministry after that. And just this last one right here. And we need to stand up for one another and use our tongue. Joseph Osai, the defensive end for the Cincinnati Bengals. Two weeks ago, if you're a football fan, you saw what happened. Kansas City had, I think, a third down and four. They were going to lose the game. They weren't going to the Super Bowl. And uh, uh, Patrick, he ran out of bounds. And uh, this Osai pushed him. And because he pushed him, he got a 15-yard penalty, allowed the Chiefs to win the game and go to the Super Bowl. One guy's, Patrick, did I say it right? My mind's getting all fuzzy. Who's the quarterback? Back, yeah, okay, I got it right. My mind's getting tired right now. Now listen to me. After this man caused this penalty and pushed the guy, he lost the game. The game was over. They can't, the camera zoomed in. They, they, they looked at him on the sidelines, and he was sitting there just crying like a baby. He knew that he probably cost his team the Super Bowl, and he felt so bad. Afterwards, he was on an interview on ESPN or whatever, a press conference, and some big old dude came up right beside him, big old guy, and just got right there next to him looking at the, report, the, the people interviewing. And they said, well, you know, you caused a penalty. Do you realize that cost the game? Uh, how do you feel? And finally, this big old guy said, look, you know, don't do this to him. This guy's played his tail off all year for us. This is a good football player. Leave him alone. And he sat there and looked at those reporters like, come on, man. You get on to him, and I'm standing right here, and I'm going to defend him. I thought that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. One of the coolest things. Really pretty cool. And I want to use that to say that we're the family of God, and we need to stand up for one another. When someone starts bad-mouthing a brother or sister, you say, no, 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 no. That's my brother. That's my sister in Christ. When some, someone starts bad-mouthing one of your pastors or your small group leaders, you go, no, 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 don't go there. Don't say anymore. Uh, in closing, I'm going to share this story. When the Civil War ended and the Confederacy came to the courthouse to surrender, General Grant came out. He was a general on the Union side. And they said he was a very gracious man to the Confederacy. He came out and told his soldiers, he said, you can keep all your provisions. You can keep your horses. And to General Lee, he was especially, especially gracious. He uh, allowed the general, Robert E. Lee, to go in and out of town, uncumbered. He allowed him to keep his dignity. And Robert E. Lee was very, very thankful. After all this happened, and General Grant was so kind to everybody, especially to General Robert E. Lee, General Robert E. Lee years later became the president of uh, Washington College in Virginia. And one day after class, another senior leader of the university came to Robert Lee and started bad-mouthing General Grant. And he looked him eyeball to eyeball, and he said, if you ever 
ever, ever badmouth that guy again. He said, one of us is going to be released from this university because I'm not going to allow it anymore. That man's my friend. And I think there's something beautiful about that. It's something we don't see very often anymore. Where's our loyalty? Are we loyal to anybody? Do we ever stand up and say, no, no, no. That's my friend. That's my pastor. And we're not going to talk bad about him. I got one guy has been with me since the beginning of this church. And this guy, man, you do not talk bad about me or anybody else. You just don't do it because he won't allow it. But let me pray us out right now because I know you got a big day. Uh, Father God, I thank you for the way you're blessed in this church. And I thank you, Lord God, that we're all on this journey together. And we're all trying to fix our tongue. And as I said last week, really if we want to start fixing our tongue, we really should start with the things that are in our mind that we're thinking about. Because those things in our mind, they drip down to our heart. And then out of our heart comes our words. And so, Lord God, we're on this journey together. And every week we're learning different things about how we can become better Christians and how we can better glorify you in our life. Thank you for the mercy and grace you've shown this church. And right now, if there's anybody in the building or watching online that has never given their life to the Lord, can I say a couple things to you? If you've never given your life to the Lord, why not? Why, why haven't you? Is it pride? Is it unbelief? Is it anger or resentment for God in some way? And what's stopping you? I truly believe some of you are here today only because someone's been praying for you. That's why you're here. And I believe with all of my heart that you know a way down deep in your heart that you're not living right. You've never given your life to God. Maybe you never understood Christianity. Maybe like my old Italian family, we were all raised Catholics. And nothing against Catholics, I'm just saying that's where we were raised. We never heard this truth. You need to come to a place where you're not ashamed of the fact that you need God. And what you need to do, and I will lead you in that prayer today if you want me to, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to come and start living in your body. And when you ask Him, He will. You'll begin to think differently, feel differently. It's absolutely so crazy you can't wrap your mind around it. But God says you must come to a point in your life where you're willing to be weak. See, it takes a strong man to be weak. It was hard for me to lift my hands in a church service and say, I need God. It was hard because I'm proud. But some of you have never done that. You've never been born again. So I'm going to ask you to do something right now, and I will not embarrass you beyond this. But if you say, Ron, if I don't do it today, I know I'll never do it. We're talking about eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. We're not talking about something trivial here. Just do me a favor right now. And I want you to lift your hand and say, Pastor, I'm not ashamed of the fact I need God. Just lift it up high. Leave it up for three seconds. God bless you. And I'm going to pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, keep them up. 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 Wow. Sir, on the front in the purple, I've been watching you all service. I knew this was coming. I knew this was coming. Right now, you guys, I'm telling you, I'm going to pray a prayer, and you've got to believe it right now. Everybody in the house, please pray loud with me as these who raise their hands. Right now, say, Lord God, today, 
I ask you to send your Holy Spirit, come into my body, and begin to live. When I walk out of here, let me know. I'm not the same person that came in. I'm going home with God in my body. I've never been like this before. I'm a child of God. Let the journey begin today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you don't know, about 25 hands went up and came into the kingdom today. Now, you 25 who raised your hands, Pastor Hector, if anybody wants to go back, if they want to go back, you can. But right now, if you don't get a packet, get one on the way out. Hector, I don't know how. You don't have enough people. If you get a packet on the way out, Hector, where are the packets going to be? In the room. So if you didn't get a packet and you raise your hand, walk back here and get one before you leave. Love you guys. If you will give us five minutes, we're going to say something about missions here for just a second, and I'm going to dismiss you. Yeah, we're going to talk about Africa, right, Pastor? I don't know. I'm so yeah. jazzed about those 25 hands. I've got to come down for a I second. Know. This is hard to do right after that. So that's wow. God's kingdom. All you guys are in God's kingdom. Wow. It's hard to believe, Pastor, that 12 years ago we took a trip to Ethiopia because we did it on the day of the Super Bowl. Uh, that night we watched uh, the Packers and the um, Steelers play in, in the room. But that was our first trip back there. And now we have Peter Nails here. And uh, how many more trips have you taken since then, Peter? I've been uh, 20 trips to Africa. Nine of those were safaris, but then God got a hold of me. And the, the, other, the rest of them were mission trips across Ethiopia to build 45 schools across the whole nation that are Christian at churches. Yeah. And how many orphans do we have now? We, we built a, a big orphanage in the last four years. COVID didn't stop VVF, by the way. We just kept going and going and going. And uh, in Uganda, we built a school for 500, and half those children are orphans. We just finished a home right there with 100 girls. And I just found out this morning that half of those girls have no parents and half just have one. So they're all orphans from the absolute poorest inner city and, you know, actually it brings a Bible verse. You know, he who welcomes a child in my name welcomes me. And that, that is kind of like my motto for the last uh, couple of years. You know, you know Peter, as, as you're talking about that, it looks like you have said first service we have 5,000 kids that our church has helped provide for. Yeah, we're really in uh, four nations right now. Ethiopia, we have over 3,500 or 3,600 kids uh, in school. And during COVID, we took 10 schools there that were closed from the government. We fed the kids. We gave them uh, books and opened up. And 600 more kids plop in our lap. We built this thing in Uganda. We got another 600. We go to the tribes of Zambia, 600 more. So we've got just, this is just... Well, this is God's kingdom. It's, it's growing. It is growing. And yep. these orphans we're responsible for, guys. Listen to me. If you tithe the VBF and give, your money goes to this, some of it. I just called our bookkeeper this week, and I said, we've got to double or triple our money to the African orphanages and the African schools and churches. Now, I did this at a time that we're going down in finances. But you know what? I have faith that if we give, you'll start giving. We need to take care of these children. Look at them. They have names and faces, and this is our responsibility. It is. And there's kind of a God story connected with this for Peter, isn't there, Pastor? Oh, so cool. Come on, Peter. Now, let me say first, this whole thing started, remember when I went to Vegas 
And I said, God, you're calling us to Africa. No, you are. And there's going to be a book there. A book falls off the shelf, hits me, falls on the floor, and it says Africa. <laughs> and so Peter started. Now, Peter called me the other day, and I, w- I was hesitant at first service, but he had a pretty big spot on his lungs. Tell him about that. Well, I went to do a scan something in my office because I'm a cardiologist. I could just scan anything I want. I was scanning something in my heart and found something in my lungs. So I went uh, backstage and asked Ron to pray for it. And while he was praying, he said the word curse, like he heard directly from God um, uh, that there was some kind of curse. And I think something happened with, you know, and when you do this kind of ministry and 25,000 people come to the Lord, you do offend some people. And I think some people may have prayed against or got witch doctors or whatever, but he felt it was a curse and prayed over that. And in three months, it's almost gone on the CAT scan. So... But I did claim, I just want to say that I claimed a verse in Isaiah, Isaiah 58, read it for yourselves, but it's take care of the poor and the needy and the wanderer and shelter and all of that. And then it says, and your healing will quickly appear. And I just claimed that verse. You know what? I preached here and you've heard me for years that we have green cards and we're entitled to be on this earth until... Our job's done. Now, listen to me. See, our three guys, this three guys up here, our, what you see is not us. We live inside of what you see. This is an earth suit, earth suit, earth suit. I talk to God all the time, and I say, God, see, I have two cancers that I've fought through the years. I said, your earth suit's broken right now. If you want Ron Vietti to stay on the earth and keep ministering, you got to fix his earth suit. Is that a cool way to look at it? Peter's earth suit. See, Peter's not done yet. So I knew when, when we... He asked me to pray. I knew that I knew that I knew. God's not done with him, so the earth suit has to be fixed, and it's being fixed. Is that cool? God is always involved, and there's ways for you guys to get involved. Like Pastor Ron said, you're giving to our church. We're giving to Peter, and he's going out and uh, just blessing these orphans. Now, there is a newsletter at vbfmissions.org that people, you know, if you want to read about what's happening and the latest thing. And actually, my wife, Karen, on July 8th is taking a team to our South Africa uh, ministry that was actually started 15 years ago that the mission started. That was one of our early Africa projects. And Peter, how did they get more involved? In other words, they say, man, I, I want to be more hands-on involved. John Dickey, what is John, a doctor, he's also a medical doctor, but what does John Dickey do? Well, you know, John and I have been, you know, prayerfully, you know, seeking and expanding the latest things that are happening in Uganda. We need to build a kitchen. You know, we've got a big vision for the future. And one of them is an incredible vision, which is to build a school for the blind in a city called Nazareth, Ethiopia. I mean, if they, and, and uh, a home where they can stay. We're, you know, looking at uh, trade schools. So we have a vision and plan this in advance. And but, but uh, actually, the most important thing is prayer. I want all those hundred girls who just come into that school last week. I want them all to know Jesus personally in their heart. And these girls have been dest- destroyed by society. I mean, can you imagine how old some of them are and young and what they've seen? There are no parents. So, uh, you know, prayer for Again, them. how many schools and how many churches do we have? Well, the schools that we built, we have 55 in uh, Ethiopia. There's one very big one in Uganda, seven in um, Zambia, and several, three in South Africa. Uh, churches... Through this ministry, there's been like 400 home churches that have been started in Muslim areas. It's all Muslim areas, a little bit of Orthodox, but uh, yeah. So what it's a been... plan to put 
schools and Christian churches in Muslim areas. They can preach the gospel of Jesus. That is like coolest of cool. You said earlier, what'd you say about Peter someday when he well, died? I, I've always told Peter, he and I laugh, laugh a lot about it. If there is a book written in the next, until Jesus comes back, and it's on Ethiopia, there's going to be a chapter about this white heart doctor that came to Ethiopia and turned things around for a lot of orphans, kids that don't have homes. Some of them have AIDS. Some of them have malaria. And they're just given hope. And I think that's what the, uh, the gospel does is bring hope to people, hurting people. So let, let's, let's all extend your hands out. Or let's pray for Peter right now. Father God, Dr. Nalos is our leader in missions. When we asked him years ago to lead this, he said yes. We pray that you continue to keep your hand on him, keep him well, watch out for him, and continue to produce fruit through him. We count an honor, Lord, to have a bunch of brothers and sisters in Africa. So let the journey continue and continue to be our God in the midst of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Gang, have a good day and be politically correct out there, okay? Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is I